your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle Empire. Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire, where we are recording on the eve of um, some the the, the 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 eve of an event that uh, is going to shape reshape our world. Mainly, you know, more coronavirus outbreak. Yeah, can't wait. And also, we're broadcasting here facing the long dark of Moria after daylight savings time, and it's now pitch black. At, I mean, it's been dark for a while, and it's like 6:20 as we sit here. So yeah, thank God for some work from home flexibility, so I can see the sun every night. Yeah, I have to admit, it does help me wake up in the morning. I basically don't wake up until my room is illuminated, and that happens now at a more useful hour, whereas otherwise I have to drag myself out before the sun is really all the way up. There's a lot of trees in my neighborhood shit, so it's fine on the front end, but yeah, this whole dark at 5 o'clock thing, it, like, you would think here in my early 30s that it wouldn't catch me by surprise anymore, but it sure does, and uh, I'm ready for bed. Well, speaking of being caught by surprise, I'm gonna crack open a Wind Fight Tri Brewster of the Week, which this week comes from the Frankenmuth Brewing Company is a jungle lager called Brown Hound, because somebody made like a hound dog and make made all kinds of noise and then uh, and then pissed everywhere. And then uh, didn't listen to a damn word anybody said, um, and then looked sorry for themselves. Uh, unlike the hound dogs that I know, they were not particularly affectionate or cuddly about it, and uh, I don't like them very much. I am, of course, talking about the Michigan Wolverines. But we digress, and before we get to really the best thing to happen in my sports world since the end of basketball season, we have a Friday night special once again this week. I think the last one for a while, I, there's not one on this week's schedule. I don't recall seeing one next week either, but we did have a Friday night game between Minnesota and Maryland, and referring to that Michigan-Michigan State game, I've, I know I've heard it said in multiple places that watching this game the night before, there was definitely reasons for doubt, especially with a 26-point opening line between Michigan and MSU, because you watch this game and you think, oh, oh, Minnesota, bad, bad. Yeah, they, that line went down to 21 by kickoff. Yeah, yeah, a lot of money came in on that, and justifiably so, because a Maryland team that had gotten housed by 40 the week before against Northwestern, the powerhouse of the West, uh, came out and pulled out this win against Minnesota, though, it's fair to say they certainly rode the roller coaster to get there. Yeah, absolutely. They started out up by 14 and then went down by 17. And then came back to tie it at 38, forced overtime. Talk about volatility with a team. I mean, yeah, Maryland yeah. was about as volatile as you can get because the offense, you know, they'd either find big plays or they'd go three and out and use up no clock. No, they're a clump of sodium. A lot of the time, it's if you just take appropriate precautions. You can put them in a jar pretty easily and they're nice and safe, but if you're careless with them, they can explode in your face. So I think that's a good chemistry joke. You're the science guy. Yeah, it's, it's all right, but uh, I'll tell you what else I am. I am a big fan of Jake Funk. I know what you can do. Let us lay some funk on you. Is it 100% because of his name? Yeah, absolutely. Bring in the noise, bring in the funk. We want the funk. Gotta have that funk. He's an easy guy to root for, too, in that he has very much waited his turn. If I, I think he's had a couple of serious injuries in his career. I want to say he's torn his ACL at least once, which... Again, Maryland, par for the course. I think that's basically like they, when you get there, they sign you up for classes, they give you a map of campus, 
and then one of the upperclassmen giving the tour just smashes you in the knee with a sledgehammer. I have to assume that's <laughs> kind of how it goes, but he's also, again, like I say, he, he had to wait behind Javon Leak and Anthony McFarland. I think he's like a fourth or fifth year guy now, hasn't really been a big, I mean, he's always been uh, on the list of names that you mentioned when you talk about Maryland's offense, but he's kind of been a mop-up guy until now, but then he comes out, and this is like a Melvin Gordon type line where... Yeah, late in the game, he was really doing some serious damage. Funk Master Flex was just carrying guys down the field. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to have fun with him. So, uh, Dr. Funkenstein. And that is, you know, when you're talking about the defenses in this game, as far as Maryland goes, look, there's really just a shortage of personnel. They found they have a couple of tackle-racking linebackers, which they're usually able to find to their credit. This time it's a converted lacrosse player. Uh, That's pretty uh, Maryland. Yeah, what? What is the guy's name, though? It's Chance something, which, again, cross player like that totally fits. But <laughs> they're clearly short-handed on the defensive line in particular. So... You can certainly run on them, and it's very true for Minnesota as well. You know, I'm sure he's a nice guy and all, but I can't... Every single time I hear this name, I just want to punch it in the face. Leighton Vander Esch. <laughs> right? yeah. Yeah, every time I hear that name, I'm just like... Wow, that guy definitely stacks pink pink polos with pop collars. Well, he's supposed to, if I remember his draft, when they drafted him in the first round, he's from some dinky little town, like a 60-person town in Idaho. I don't know if he walked on to Boise or what exactly, but like his story was big inspiration, like the, the kind of shit the NFL eats up for their big yeah. public Yeah, rights. and so he's nothing like his name sounds. Yeah. But God, <laughs> does his name sound like, yeah. but so like a he, trust fund baby. Right, I was going to say, so he sounds like... Like a Chase Bank executive from the East Coast, but he's actually in like the the op, like the farthest like as country as it can get. And sometimes those polarities do reverse, which is always kind of weird to see. So before we get too far afield here, look as far as Minnesota goes, it's clear again. You know what won't be noticed here is that Muhammad. It's either Ibrahim or Ibrahim. I I swear they'd say it differently every week. No, they, they were they were stuck on Ibrahim today. Or not today, but Friday. The Minnesota running back. You know the guy. We'll call him Mo. I'm going to go ahead and assume that he pronounces it Mohammed Ibrahim. Otherwise, why would he be named that? Yeah, because that's, that's... That's how that name is that pronounced? Would be, that, I believe, would be the Arabic pronunciation of that name. So, Ibrahim, anyway. yes. <laughs> um, I mean, Mohammed Ibrahim with a really great... <laughs> You know, I'll tell you what, Ibrahim just gives you a real surge there in the middle of the, the middle of the line. Makes me want a Monte Cristo, I tell you. Every time I think about this guy, I call him the ham sandwich. Yeah, you can't tell me you can't see again if John Gruden was still doing the analytics thing. Uh, so he he quietly had 200 plus yards himself. Had to take a lot more carries to get there. But he's the conference's leading rusher, and would you know that? No, because he plays for an 0-2 team that has now given up an average of 47 points a game. Yeah, but it's remarkable that despite missing a couple of pieces on the offensive line that Minnesota still runs the ball so effectively, especially in the direction that those guys are missing from. They're missing the right guard and right tackle, but there's still a very right-handed running game, and it's still very effective. It's they just, built some depth on the offensive line. Credit to P.J. Fleck for that. Apparently so, and you, it, the only thing that you would wish if you're a Minnesota fan is, man, couldn't we have couldn't we have picked up a couple linebackers through the transfer portal or something that could play? Because Especially in the defensive back seven. They have a couple guys who can be disruptive up front, um, Mafe in particular, 
but they just they don't have anybody that can reliably make a tackle or make the right run fit. And that's not something that they're going to be able to change. We I think we discussed last week that if you were to look at their recruit, there's just a cavernous gap in their recruiting from the end of the Jerry Kill, Tracy Clays era. Yeah, with, I mean, with, with respect to the second level of the defense, um, of course, you know, deeper, they didn't really have anybody that could match up with uh, Demas, Deshaun Jones, and saw Rakeem Jarrett get involved as well. It was something that we... That we, we were calling for. Yeah, we found we found at the table from it since the offseason that you've got to get this guy involved. But. Talia Tagovailoa, nowhere near as bad as he looked against Northwestern. Yeah, um, I mean, talk about a, like a Jekyll and Hyde situation too. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, you know, I'm not saying that he's necessarily as good as this performance, but he certainly wasn't going to be as bad as that Northwestern performance. No, he's he is a little too much talented. Or too, yeah, too talented for that. Nobody's gonna mistake him for his brother, I don't think. Once we have a bigger sample size, but, but he made some, he made some pretty good throws. You can see the upside. No, he did, and he's also a little bit more willing of a runner. Tua's plenty mobile, but he generally his mobility is more in the style of Russell Wilson, like let me slither around a little bit until I find a throw. Was Tolio or a Donovan McNabb? Really. Yeah, Tolio was totally willing to take off and get <clears throat> yards on the ground. So if if so yeah, a, between yeah. him and between him and Parliament Funkadelic, they did have a pretty balanced attack. Yeah, and that's obviously <laughs> we last week after the way they just got mollywopped by Northwestern, it was fair to say like is, is Maryland going to win a game? Plainly, what we found out now, what I think we're going to learn is there's going to be a lot more wild variation than you would typically see, even if teams have a lot of their personnel in place relative to COVID, and granted, Minnesota doesn't, and we get that, which is why there's going to be a little bit of a mulligan given, but we're not going to stop saying that like this team Minnesota's putting out there is the worst team in the conference right now, ending next week's results, which we'll get to. Yeah, that, yeah, that game suddenly becomes very important. And you know, <laughs> again, you, you can't you can't hold something like that against PJ Fleck. It's hard to hold this year against any coaches that are this year as far as as far as hiring and firing because this year is so weird. Unless you're talking about systemic issues that have just never gone away. I don't know what you mean by that. Such as Well, we referred to well well alright, so you're talking about something else besides what I'm thinking. Oh well yes, it applies in both cases. I have a little bit of a one track mind at the moment on that subject, but we'll go ahead then and discuss Illinois twenty four, Purdue thirty one with honest I mean look, I get that this is a very frustrating situation for you to be in because there are these continuous themes that you don't see solutions for. But look, when you're down to quarterback four and you play within a score of a pretty good conference opponent, I mean worse things have happened. Right. Yes, but here's what's so frustrating, is that we largely got back into that game because, yeah, the offense made do with QB4. Uh, he, he had four turnovers, the defense got some back. Um, I've never heard of anything like this before. Purdue turned it over inside our three-yard line twice, and this led to 14 points for Purdue, because each time, Grant Taylor very quickly yeah. turned it over, but... Uh, the problem is, yeah, the offense got 440 yards, but the defense, it was just the same thing. There was no, there were no starters missing on the defense, absolutely none. And nevertheless, you saw guys just, you know, pointing at each other when trying to figure out who the hell had, who, who in the hell had this coverage assignment here. <laughs> Who's covering And we're this? talking about people who have been in this system for years. <laughs> this is supposed to be the peak of this, and it still, it just looks no better than 2018. Now they did have a little bit of success going man, but of course, you know, at some point you're probably going to get beat by uh, David Bell, which they did for the game-sealing pass because Purdue was content to run out the clock passing the ball against the Illini. Yeah, I mean, that could have cost them though, and it almost did. It did. Um, but it's, it's frustrating when the defense is either, like, the defense cannot get a stop, it can only force a turnover. 
So, so it's either going to be a turnover or a touchdown the other way. There is no in-between. That, yeah, that's fairly true. And it's also a defense which, after two games, has forced a total of seven incompletions from its two opponents, of course, referring back to um, Graham Mertz's stellar debut in Week 1. So. Six turnovers! Right! And so seven incompletions! As many, as many turnovers forced as incompletions forced. I love this one that was on a fourth down, where well, they, the Purdue primary. turned it over on downs. And David Bell just made this, like, magnificent, just bobble catch, you know, tapping the toes and bounds for, like, you know, for a one-yard gain on fourth and two, and he just barely caught it. But, like, of course, even that had to be a completion because we just simply cannot allow incompletions. Yeah. So think back a year ago, not, like, calendar-wise, but back to this point in the season, a couple games in, where Purdue still has Rondale Moore. They've had a, they've already had a couple serious injuries by that point, but I believe Moore was still healthy. He played, like, four games last year, so they still got Rondale Moore. Imagine that this number of games later, you can legitimately say Rondale who because of how good yeah. David Bell turned out to be. They got a big game also from Milton Wright here. Xander Horvath had big numbers on the ground, but as you said, also fumbled a couple times, which is, honestly, to me, that's the obvious answer for why they're passing late in the game it's because the only running back that they trust to be on the field they don't trust with the ball in a clutch situation like that i mean what are we going to do get an interception that would be an incompletion (laughs) although you know i've always thought that it shouldn't be that interceptions should count as completions and then the interception return yards are subtracted from your passing total. Well, there Doesn't was, that make more sense? There was the game uh, that Illinois played for Purdue that snapped a two-year-long Big Ten losing streak where Nathan Shieldhouse, no pass he threw hit the ground because he had two interceptions <laughs> that were his only incompletions. Every pass that he threw was caught by someone. All right, so given that you're looking a little further down your depth chart for at least one more game, if not, I think, I think for probably two more, if you had your choice, do you want to start Coran Taylor despite the four turnovers, or do you want to go to Matt Robbins? I mean, I'm, I'm going to take the upside every time. This season is lost. This is a scrimmage. It was lost before it even kicked off. Um, it was certainly lost in the first quarter at Wisconsin. So why don't we just see what the upside is? If we want a guy like, if we want an athletic guy running the offense, the problem that I foresee is that Matt Robinson is that typical guy in the program that he doesn't have the upside in his mobility or his arm, but he's a guy that the coaches all just say, oh, he just does all the right things in practice and God, we just love this guy. And you saw, I mean, in no game that Matt Robinson was in, has he ever inspired as much hope as Karan Taylor did? not to mention there was a weird thing that happened uh, with Deuce Span, the freshman that I said maybe had the most upside of anybody there. So he got into the game, uh, I-, I guess because Karan Taylor was like over on the sideline pumping up the defense for some reason. And there was nobody there to, so, so Span just went in the game and then they called the timeout. <laughs> To get to they, they, the announcers couldn't figure out what the hell was going on. They're like, oh, I don't know. Did they like so? Is this a trick Span play? Who was, is this guy? Span is in the so so. Here's Deuce Span, the true freshman, and and they and he and he's he's coming out now. He he never put his mouthpiece in. I don't know. Is this? Did they? So for a second, I thought that he like you know he forgot to put his mouthpiece in, and then they were just like, no, never again. You're never ever going to start here. Yeah, but I, yeah, that, that's the problem. Through thick and thin, through everything, the one thing you can count on is Illinois is god awful against the pass. Uh, 
it's, you know, those are the that's the one thing that you can absolutely count on, and it's the one thing they have no excuse for. Yeah, because it's not any of the position. I mean, the defensive line again was getting adequate pressure. I so to kind of give the last thought on this, I agree with your answer to the question I threw out there, which is if you're talking about a stable but low ceiling option versus a higher variability guy, this is the perfect season to see, as you said, what a Coran Taylor can do for you because you would assume if a guy has the ability, if he can make the throws, you can coach turnovers out of a guy a lot of the time. Yeah, a lot of the things that were deficiencies with Taylor, there was like... He he, he ended the game basically on, he threw three straight balls and then he made the wrong read, maybe forgot what down it was and hit, mm-hmm. a, hit a back in the flat yeah, hit on fourth and 10 for a six yard game. Yeah. yeah, but unlike the deficiencies with Robinson, that's something that you can actually coach up. That's something that game reps will actually help a lot. Yeah. So, so he's actually got upside that will be held by game reps, and he's the only one of these quarterbacks that can really say that about at this point. Playing ain't going to make Robinson taller or stronger. But to wit, the offense got 440 yards. The offense, with all these starters out, you know, fundamentally did its job and moved the ball. The defense just gave up a shitload of points. Yeah, yep, that'll happen. Um, so at the end of the day, you know, this is what we've got. We've got a defense head coach who's, whose trademark of his defense is awful. And so this is where you evaluate. Well, look, do we have enough of a proof of concept, even with all the noise this year, to know that the thing that he's staked his reputation on implementing here at Illinois is just never going to happen? How much longer is he under contract for? I think either I think till 2023, but, but he's now but he's now very cheap. <laughs> I ask because that's something that might actually come into play in one of the coaches in the next game we're gonna talk yeah. about. So the, the 2018 extension of Lowy Smith actually made him much cheaper past 2019. Um, so of the he's now in the bottom half of Big Ten coaches. Yeah. He's now pretty cheap for a Big Ten coach. Just saying, you know, the game against Minnesota suddenly becomes very important for both of these teams. Well, when you say for both of these teams. Well, for Illinois. Yeah, if you're Minnesota, I think you're you're probably willing to chalk this season up as a loss, even knowing that this so all right, there's there's this uniform eligibility waiver out there. So you could theoretically convince your entire team to return exactly as it is next year and also add your freshman class. I kind of feel like some guys are going to move on. It'll depend, you know, that honestly is, a, is it feels preposterous to talk about 2021 at this point because who on earth knows what the landscape is going to look like by then. Yeah, but if you were to gaze off into the murky future a little bit, it feels pretty sure for Minnesota that Rashad Bateman is off to Vienna, right? Because he opted out. He's yeah. draft eligible. He's going to be a first round pick. Why would he not go? Um, they do at least, I mean, they've seen that they at least have a deep ball threat in Chris Ottman Bell. I don't think they really have any other proven receivers beyond him, but look, the, the hope is you at least keep the line moving. They'll still have Tanner Morgan. He doesn't seem like a draft risk. So if you're Minnesota, you're throwing at, yeah, I think at some point, I'd be surprised if they don't start throwing out a lot of these young defensive backs and linebackers they've recruited that are true freshmen. They may not be ready at all, but who cares? Just let them get on the field and get the best practice reps they'll ever get. And the last thing I want to say about Illinois is that I figured it was going to be this way and I had my fears confirmed at 10 a.m. we had the news dome. Uh, <laughs> you did. You you 100% did. Yes. I 100% yes. called it that we were not going to know anything about the COVID situation until 10 a.m. on game day. And that's so frustrating because Davo Swinney of the number one Clemson Tigers uh, goes ahead and announces midweek that his quarterback, the Heisman frontrunner, is out because apparently he doesn't need the competitive advantage as much 
He's actually playing for something this year, but apparently he doesn't. I mean, this. I get that you have to sacrifice everything for some competitive edge, but like, it would be really helpful to know exactly what the hell is going on, what the status of each team is, so that I don't. Because when you announce all those guys out, you know, the immediate thing is, the immediate feeling is, oh, Illinois has been keeping this from us. We don't know how bad the situation there is. So I started thinking, is it really irresponsible for us to play this game? I think there's a simpler explanation, a less malevolent explanation, which is just that's uh, a long NFL habit coming out in Lovey Smith when if someone asks him, is so-and-so available? He can do the Jim, the, the Jim Caldwell thing and say, check the report. Or he can, <laughs> and do, they can, or he can, can do, do Bill Belichick. He was an active. Yeah. And then, <laughs> uh, I believe he was an active. He was, he was, he was an active. Exactly. Course, so. um, I think that's what that is. I understand that given everything that we've seen and been through this year, it is very tempting to not give anyone the benefit of the doubt for that type of situation. I, yeah. I, to- I totally understand. I agree that that is probably what's happening. Yeah. But it's just frustrating that it has to be this way. Oh, sure. Oh, it 100% is. But. I just, I'd really like to know that, you know, to feel confident that we're not, that we didn't give Purdue COVID. Like, you know? Well, it's, you have since found out that it seems unlike, right? So, yeah. There is that. There is that. Because what happened was we had two confirmed coronavirus cases, and then we just isolated everybody's roommates for quarantine. And they're all living together because, you know. <laughs> that's what they, that's what teammates do, so. <sighs> the bubble was infected. So, we're talking about coaches who've been there a long time, who've had, who've had some uh, sort of system that they've implemented, some culture that they've implemented that just continues to not get it done. Now, that describe anybody else in the Big Ten to you? <clears throat> <laughs> Spooky, scary Spartans and shivers down your spine. Jim, you suck at this. It turns out he actually sucks at this. Who would have figured? So Michigan State 27, Michigan 24. As we mentioned earlier, the betting line this game opened at 26. Closed at 21 because I think a lot of people out there correctly analyzed. Well, first of all, saw the Minnesota results against Maryland and thought, ooh, maybe we're buying a little high on Michigan right now. But also the the, the variance between week one and two was bound to be huge for Michigan State because there's no way they turned the ball over seven times again. So people smartly bet that number down. But this takes Jim Harbaugh to three and three against a Michigan State program that began collapsing of its own accord one year after he got there. He's now a combined one and six at home versus Michigan State and Ohio State and supposedly one of the best home field advantages in the country. Granted, that didn't matter this year so much. Well, I mean, it sounded about like it does normally. You just, visually, you see all the people there. Right, except except you're not being shushed watching the broadcast of an empty stadium at home by some arrogant 65-year-old guy behind you. So I'm trying to be circumspect here because, look, I did not call this win. I did not expect it, even though MSU led for most of the game. Michigan tied them up a couple times, but MSU pulled back out ahead. I did not believe that this was going to happen until the clock was all zeros. And even though this season is so bizarre, and really, like, what does any of this actually mean? Neither of us think that the whole season is going to be played as far as the Big Ten is concerned. But this is still a tall, cool glass of water in a desert that seemed to go on forever as far as MSU football was concerned, man. For all the criticism Mel Tucker and his staff got, and deserved after week one for not having a team to play, even though really, when I say deserved, is it really fair for a guy who's been there for eight months, had practice interrupted by a pandemic, didn't get to meet his players face-to-face for several months because of it. Um, The adjustment was still stunning in a very good way. You know what I want to know? If uh, any of the returning players still have their program win hats from the time you defeated Maryland. (laughs) Those would have been pretty good to pull out here. (laughs) 
Yeah, because honestly, this is what you call a program win. Boy, so. were those were those one of the best pieces of merchandise any team ever produced? Hmm. <laughs> I had I had honestly and truthfully forgotten all about it. <laughs> and then you brought it back up. When we're talking about this game, you couldn't just let me have this for a second? Like that's where just, we are. That's where we are right now. I was just thinking it would be a pretty <sighs> it'd be pretty cool if they had him if they could bring him back out for this one. But Jeez. so zero turnovers, zero sacks allowed and a pretty substantial reduction of penalties they still had a few but it absolutely night and day in terms of preparedness and focus and even quality of game plan here versus against Rutgers uh, Michigan State still cannot really run the ball worth a damn and that's probably not going to change this year their offensive line is what it is and what it is is not very good but they stuck with it and got enough out of it to keep Michigan's defense honest. And they also, and this is really where the staff deserves the most credit, is they zeroed in on Michigan's weakness and just drilled at it, which is that Michigan plays this aggressive attacking defense that involves a lot of man-free on the outside, and they have two new corners this year. And as it turned out, neither of those corners were up to the task of covering basically just go routes. So basically, the summary of this game was that at one point, Rocky Lombardi was 6 for 16, for 142 yards and two touchdowns. Yeah, and it, for, well, there was another point. I think he, by the time he got to like nine or 10 completions, he was at like 225. So yeah, relatively low completion percentage, both because like he's taking long shots and those miss more often. And there were a few drops too, but I want to look up something else really quick here. But so a few things surprised me about Michigan's approach to this game on offense too. First was that they didn't really run Joe Milton very much at all. Like he led them in carries against Minnesota, I believe, to pretty good effect. He's this six foot five, very mobile. He's supposedly Cam Newt, right? Uh, if you have a Cam Newt, you call design runs for him occasionally, but they didn't really do that. They didn't take any deep shots, but when they did, I kind of understood why, which is that for as much as we want to talk about this howitzer army's got, he has howitzer accuracy too, more than 10 or so yards down the field. Basically, all he's able to do right now is hit the quick slants off of these RPO concepts, which, look, that worked. That moved the ball for him just fine, but they have this insistence on running inside, even though from an athletic standpoint, that's really the one thing Michigan State is still capable of stopping for sure, because they still have really good defensive tackles. They still have inside linebackers that can play the run effectively. Whenever Michigan did try to get them on space, like the first touchdown they scored was just giving it on basically a sweep outside to Corum, who's lightning fast. And he just, he ran around one of Michigan State's corners who are supposed to be the fastest guys out there. Now, if you look on the other side, I've had this pet theory about Jim Harbaugh that ever since I started developing it, he has never once proven me wrong. And the second he does, I'll give him credit for it, but when is he ever going to prove that he has not since since uh, the 2016 Michigan-Ohio State over double overtime game that he hasn't just been a shambling corpse walking around glassy-eyed with his mouth partway open with mad world stuck in repeat on his head just watching the world go by and just kind of trapped inside himself where are you wake up when was the last time that when was the last time michigan made an adjustment in a game that was any good do you think he really died that day i really do i honest to god do because I started saying that a couple years after it happened, and he's done nothing but prove me. Like, he has acted in a manner consistent 
with somebody who died inside that day. There's one last thing that I will say. So I was thinking about this game in terms of, well, all right, what really did D'Antonio leave behind here? And there are two things that I think are equally true. All right, so first of all, I'm referring to this game forever as the Ricky White game because this true freshman receiver caught eight passes on 10 targets for 196 yards and a touchdown, chased Michigan's supposed number one corner to the bench because they couldn't cover him one-on-one. -on -one. Ricky White, you want to guess his name? National recruiting ranking in the composite. Was he even a top 1,000 guy? Well, yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, he was. He's number 416, the 70th ranked wide receiver, the number 40 player in the state of Georgia. And according to 24-7, he was apparently MSU's top composite recruit last year. So that gives you an idea of how the experts and the analysts think about this class that MSU has brought in as freshmen. But there he was out there running past Michigan's four-star corners, unaffected by their five-star safety. Um, because once again, they could keep doing it because Michigan never adjusts. Because they never adjust. They but, never, ever adjust. But since I don't want to lose the thread here, what I'm saying is it is entirely possible, and I'm hopeful to find this will be the case, that D'Antonio's eye for talent, at least, never quite wavered. Now, his management of that talent and how he handled it in-game, I think, is a definitely different story because the other side of this coin is, I wondered to myself, all right, how much of this game outcome was because of Mel Tucker and his staff and the difference that they might have made from D'Antonio. And I'm thinking to myself, if D'Antonio had been in charge for this game, would this outcome have occurred? Absolutely not. There's no way they would have thrown 15 deep balls with Rocky Lombardi against Michigan's defense if D'Antonio was still in charge. Never would have happened. I know that, by the way, because they probably didn't throw 15 deep balls the last two seasons that Antonio was in charge. That vertical thing was just not part of the game. So I'm vaguely hopeful that this maybe means the the talent burst here isn't going to be quite so bad. Uh, I'm, I'm hopeful. But, but the fact that they seem to have hit on one guy in Ricky White, and again, this is one game, who knows, maybe we'll never hear from him again, but this would be a hell of a one-time performance. So those are the two things that I had in mind from a big picture perspective. The second part, I'm very sure about. I'm very sure that this game and this outcome was a marked improvement from where Antonio game planning was the last couple years. We will see if it means anything positive on the talent acquisition and development aspect of developing a program. Maybe things aren't quite as bad as they seem. I don't, I'm not ready to make that step yet. I mean, it's one game. And it's really one player. <laughs> so. That is true. And for Michigan, well, now suddenly a dazed and confused Jim Harbaugh has to go to Indiana where they've just knocked off Penn State um, and try and regroup his guys and Try and convince them that Indiana is worth taking seriously, which seems to be a real problem for them. If that's so, if that is the case, that part, and so by the way, we'd be remiss in not mentioning the unfathomably arrogant post game interview that Joe Milton gave, in which he was asked if he knew Antoine Simmons was that good of a player. Antoine Simmons had 11 tackles, I think maybe half a tackle or a tackle and a half for loss. Broke up a pass, a trick play that would have been a touchdown. Um, he, and again, he's Michigan State's starting middle linebacker, one of their starting inside linebackers. And returned as a leading tackler from last year. Yeah, so any quarterback anywhere in the country is going to hear this guy's name repeatedly when you're doing film prep, but Milton could not have been more dismissive about him. Again, this interview is after the yeah. loss. So first, he asked who that was, and then when he was given his jersey number, he said, 
Oh, no, that guy. Oh, he's like, yeah, he's, he's all right, but I, he wasn't on my radar. Wasn't on my radar. Wasn't on my radar, he said. Nope. Uh, boy. And first, no, so, he, first of all. When he got the jersey number, he went and did a full-on, <laughs> just like, <laughs> that guy. Yeah. All he did was prevent me from making the plays that would have allowed me to win the game. No big deal. Yeah. He sucks. Not worth noticing. Not worth my time as I sit here after two career starts with a one-and-one one record, can't throw the ball 15 yards downfield, and be within 10 yards of a receiver but i'm the one who's going to sit here and snort at that question yeah sure so so that is the question so harbaugh's team do they think they're too good to play at indiana i don't know look, open question because if that if that approach is at all emblematic of the broader locker room because now harbaugh just came out today and blamed the refs for the whole loss <laughs> like, yeah did, did they really not understand why they lost the game is that and if so where is jim harbaugh he's been missing for going on four years now. Where is this man? Oh, man. And so that, oh, this brings us full circle to the thing I'm, why I asked you about Lovey's contract situation, because it's come up in some circles here recently that Jim Harbaugh's contract is up after this year. He's, he's not under contract after the end of the season. Oh, what do they do so with that? So you have to extend or fire him? No, you have to, well, they'll never fire. Let's get, they will never fire him. They will, he'll go off to coach the Jets or some shit, and uh, and that'll be, the, you know, he, he was great here and we wanted him to stay, but the league calls. He wants to compete at the highest levels and we can't hold him back. So that's, it'll be one of those two things. So either, yeah, give him another five years and at his salary, 40 to 50 million more dollars or they'll let him go and he'll leave of his own accord and he will have accomplished exactly zero of his goals when coming here. Has not won a champion, national championship, has not won a Big Ten championship, has not won a division, has not beaten Ohio State, 500 against MSU. Somehow I don't think that's what any Michigan fan had in mind when they hired him six years. I mean, uh, you know who's better against MSU over that time frame is Lovey Smith, Illinois. On a percentage basis, yes. Like, yeah, yeah. Let's see what. Well, we didn't. I think it's just one and zero, isn't it? No, it's two and zero. Two and zero. It was last year in 2016. Those are the only two times that we played. But, but yeah, like this is not you know 2015 Michigan State. They had a 10 win season in here, but like this has been an eminently gettable team that again the likes of Illinois has, has caught sleeping. For a couple of years in D'Antonio's, no, not in Harbaugh's tenure. Yeah. What again? I offer you, I offer you a challenge. Prove to me that Jim Harbaugh survived the Michigan Ohio State game in 2016. He's wearing those transition lenses a lot more now. I mean, you, you, I, I simply will not be swayed from this thought because he's done everything he's done since then has been consistent with somebody who died that day. They've got a lot of SIDs around him at all times. It would have to, and look, I grant you, it would have to be a fairly elaborate weekend at Bernie's situation. But they you tell me they don't have the money to make that happen? They absolutely do. They could get the engineering school on that to build him an exoskeleton that goes under them baggy khakis. And, yeah, they could make that work. Well, I mean, do they go up to him when he's preparing, you know, the team meetings, the notes for the team meetings, and just see pages and pages and pages of, Barrett was short, I'm bitterly disappointed. Barrett was short, I'm bitterly disappointed. Barrett was short, I'm bitterly disappointed. I'll work in no victories over the Buckeyes makes Jim a dull boy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm serious about this, though. This is what I think happened, and every single week of every single season proves me right. Well, not every week. Remember... A week ago, they were going to the playoffs. They were going to beat Ohio State. They were one of the best. I'm talking about what's actually. 
actually happened. Oh, well. Okay. Well, you can you can you can do your reality if you want, I suppose, Michigan hater. All right, let's move on to the grittiest, most reality game of the Northwestern 21, Iowa 20. I'm leaving in the same introductory paragraph for this game that I did for Iowa's game last week, by the way. In these uncertain times, it is nice to see Kirk Ferentz, even with his promised new introspective ways, is still capable of making his fans tear their hair out in frustration. I said that exact same thing a week ago. I can... It's... Truer now, what is wrong with this Iowa offense? We thought they were going to be so good. Is it as simple as Petrus just is not a good quarterback at this point? Is it that simple, or is there something bigger wrong? Is it just that Petrus can't make the types of throws that they want him to make right now? Is it that the game is too fast for him right now? You know, take this in your glass. Swirl it around. Check out the nose on it. Inhale it deeply. Can you tell what vintage of Kirk this is? I don't know, but the nose is a bouquet of dog shit offense. And so the, uh, the the strangest thing here is they have him throw the ball more than 50 times. That's Purdue shit right there. And you ain't Purdue. Like, you've got, you you have good personnel, but with a second game starter at quarterback, you're not, you, you don't throw the ball 50 times. And by the way, how many yards did he throw for in 50 attempts? 216. <laughs> That's barely four yards per pass attempt. Yeah, you probably ran for that. Let's see. Well, no, I don't think so because neither team in this game got the 300 yards of total offense. So, on the one hand, it's fair to say to see why they went to the air because their running game was not working either. But I still like Sam Laporte is a good tight end. I don't think he's, I mean, he had to get at least. 12 targets in this game. He's not that good. And to basically, again, shelve Tyler Goodson, who I think is your best offensive playmaker altogether, in the interest of this passing game when, man, one of our Iowa guys forwarded us a clip in the game that showed the pocket that Petrus was in the instant before he started scrambling. You could not describe a cleaner pocket. There, there's only three guys rushing. Left tackle's got his guy locked up. Right tackle's got his guy locked up. The guard in the center are double teaming the third guy. The right guard is just standing there looking for something to do. Petrus then bailed on that pocket. So he's got happy feet and only throws bullets. So big Bobby Douglas here. Yeah, Bobby Douglas, Andrew Maxwell, <laughs> take your take your pick. And because of the way, it, man, there's a lot of resemblance in where Iowa is right now compared to what D'Antonio did with his quarterback sometimes. He never played the backup. And so when he needed a new one, it was a much more painful process than it needed to be because we didn't know what any of those guys could do in game situations. So I don't know what the solution here is for Iowa other than hope Petrus gets dramatically better or hope that Ference has an uncharacteristically short leash on him and puts in somebody else who couldn't beat out Petrus but is somehow much better. Those are basically the two doors that you can help. Oh, and by the way, Amir Smith-Marset got then tagged for an OWI, blew a .13, going 74 and a 30, which is the actions of a man who does not want to play anymore, to be honest. But obviously there's more to that story than we know about. But I imagine that it's going to be a lot easier to get checked out on a season this year than in any other year. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, look, you're and we we brought this up, I think, before the games even started, which is we brought this up last week about Penn State if they lost to Indiana. Yeah, and we haven't seen that yet. I mean, it's only Monday night here. We haven't heard of any players choosing to opt out at this point, and it does feel a little early, even for zero and two teams. I mean, if for no other reason than if you're an NFL prospect, you want to make a little more tape, I guess. Right. Uh, but at some point, there are even if even if most of the games continue to be played, they're gonna be guys who say, no, this isn't worth it. 
If you're if you're one in four or something, you know, especially if you're not on, you know, if you're one in four at Michigan State or Rutgers with a new coach and you're an underclassman, you need to stick this out to cement your position on the team in the future. But if you're one in four, like you said, say Penn State stumbles to that kind of record um, or Iowa gets off to an 0-4 start. Yeah, you could easily see upperclassmen who have their own futures to check about. Like, you know, why don't I start doing combine work? Minnesota. I mean, that's a team that, that was... That was going to be a lot better than it is right now um, if 2020 had gone off without a hitch. Yeah. So that, that's a team where you can just see people being like, well, this isn't anywhere near the season that we thought we were going to have, and this just doesn't seem worth it anymore. And I don't think that... I don't think anybody's going to hold it against them. Um, <laughs> well, we'll see how some of these coaches react. Yeah, that is true. That's going to be an interesting... If the, And again, we're speculating here. We don't know that this will come. It may be that nobody decides to do this, but... If it does, it'll be interesting to see which coaches manage to bite their tongues enough to <laughs> to not blurt out what they're really thinking, which is, you quit on the team, how dare you? Because um, you know that's what every single one of them really thinks. Absolutely. The question is, how good can they lie about it? So... Peyton Ramsey looked pretty Indiana last week, but he's settling into his Northwesternness. Oh, yeah. Right. 11 he's... for 18, 130 <laughs> yeah. yards. No touchdowns, one pick in yeah. a win. Yeah, in Northwestern. That's pretty Northwestern. Northwestern ran the ball like 60 times for about two and a half yards a carry, which again, it's just very difficult. Like, I, I predict, I remember, we predicted last week that this game was going to be like 16-15. Now, we got the winner wrong. So I do have some curiosity about whether the, the polarity in the triangle of shitty games might have been reversed like hit by a bolt of lightning because of the 2020 of the whole thing. And so that makes me wonder if now that means my team is destined to lose to Iowa but beat Northwestern because that's how this would have to go now. Holy shit. Wait a second. We're reversing all the plays. Does that mean that Lovey Smith does the impossible and beats not Ohio State but Northwestern? <laughs> you can only hope. Hey, by the end of the season, who knows where anyone's going to be. Right, so help me God if they line up Andrew Marty in the slot on their first offensive play. <laughs> I, 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 you know, you, I just, you, I'm just going to have to tip, give a tip of the cap. That's just going to be hilarious. I think we have to watch that game together if possible. That would be Although, a fun Easter egg. We have a, my fiance and I have a trip planned that will cause me to miss at least one week late in the season. So I'm, when is the Illinois Northwestern game? 12-19. Oh, we'll be back then. Yeah. So, 12-19. Are you sure? Oh, no. 12-12. Okay. That, no, I might be wrong, actually. That might be Thanksgiving. Well, anyway, so we're gone like early December. But if we're able, we need to watch that game together. Because if that happens and, and Northwestern does unleash their secret weapon on you, I can picture you just, like, standing up from your couch, opening your back door, and just walking off into this. <laughs> just, just like, oh, there he goes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there were times in the Purdue game that I just burst out laughing because, like, we were, we were performance art. I mean, when we when we took over on our own one and immediately fumbled for a touchdown, it's just like, man, yeah. come on. You gotta, <laughs> gotta give a tip of the hand for the physical comedy here. Anyway, speaking of Indiana... Uh, speaking of physical comedy, so Indiana 37, Rutgers 21 is the final. This game was in doubt for quite a while. Indiana got off to kind of a sluggish start. Michael Penix really turned it on after halftime. Uh, they were the better team. There's no question about that. But we do have to we do have to go to bat here for Rutgers because we do have to demand justice when something truly goddamn awesome happens and it's removed because of rules or the terms of the game or whatever you like that that horse shit. So Rutgers scores a touchdown very late in the game. I want to say like a minute and change left. They recover an onside, and but then Indiana's defense just blasts them. Like, sack, incomplete pass, I think, another sack. So it's like fourth and 
39 or whatever, and Rutgers runs whatever play they run, and then they start doing the lateral thing. And they complete a couple laterals. The ball's still alive, but it's going backwards. It's that thing where it's like, oh, well, this is never going to work. And then it comes to, I think, their left tackle, O'Neal. And he gets it, and he's, like, near the sideline, and he just... He takes both hands and heaves it over his head as hard as he can. And goes, 500, dead or alive! Goes straight backwards, and behind him, it goes probably, like, another 15 yards back. <laughs> And across the field, yeah, he yeeted it behind his head, and it lands in the hands of another one of his teammates. They complete a couple more laterals, and then it gets back to the quarterback, who then throws a good lateral to Bo Melton, who scores a touchdown. Except of the eight laterals they completed, lateral number five, which I thought was going to end the play because it looked like, the in live speed, it looked like the guy might have been down. But he wasn't down. He made a heroic throw of the football from he did, an impossible the position. The problem was it went just a little bit forward. Yeah. And, and he was right on a yard line, too, so, so it was, it was easy pretty clear tell. evidence. It was easy to tell, and it just... Oh, it's so unfair, because they were so close. And don't get me wrong, even if that touchdown had counted, you would have needed to get a two-point conversion and then another onside kick, and then another touchdown, and another two-point conversion to tie. So the odds that this actually affected the outcome are remote. But look, we talked about what does this season mean. Well, for Rutgers, what it means is getting off the schneid against Michigan State in Season 7 in the Big Ten uh, with a big opening win. It would have meant creating the most memorable play of the season, basically no matter what else happens. Like, it would have been tough to top that. Even in the loss, that would have been a memorable play. Zuzu basically said, we could have had our Stanford Cal band on the field moment, and it was taken away by a replay. I was like, that really does suck. So, look, in terms of what else happened in the game, I ain't got much for you. Let's just build a statue, but an animatronic statue of their left tackle. Yeet! The mighty Yeet! Yep. <laughs> like, design it in neon, so it's like him. Have that replace the... Uh, yeah, have that replace the the you know the dude from the first football game. This is a more important moment. This is way cooler. So. <laughs> Uh, boy, so our uh, our is a football team. Yes, they are. They're look. They're they play Ohio State next week. That's not going to go well. Um, and they're going to be outclassed a couple times in terms of talent. But no, they they are not a punching bag anymore. This is not going to be an easy win. They gave Indiana a real fight, despite the fact that Indiana is a substantially better team. Our Hoosier, our beloved Hoosiers, now go into the next game with a little bit of a snidely whiplash mustache because they're the one that th- th- this play should have happened against, and it didn't. Um. <laughs> It's just, uh, boy. All right, so let's get this one over with and get on to the preview. Ohio State 38, Penn State 25. Um, Six incompletions from Justin Fields in this game. Kind of rules him out of the Heisman race IMO. Kind of makes me question, you know, is that first round valuation going to be a little bit high? Is the team really reaching for him as the second quarterback off the board? Six incompletions against the Penn State defense that's probably only like the 10th most talented in the country. You know, I didn't watch that much of this game, but I must have missed every single time that Penn State scored because <laughs> just about every single time the Penn State scored because for because play to play, Ohio State was just demolishing. Yeah, especially and the broadcast commented on this as well, but especially on the line of scrimmage. Yeah, so. they had a lot of negative plays. Yeah. They could not run the ball to save their lives, and they have and they have the talent. They're 27 carries for 44 yards. That's Penn State's line. 
Yeah, and Togii was the guy on the Buckeye line who ended up with all the sacks, but it, it, across the board, uh, Jonathan Cooper had a big game. Tyler Friday was in there all the time. Uh, their linebackers were rallying. I mean, Penn State is, was constantly trying to run swings and screens, and Ohio State's linebackers, who have at times been criticized for being a little bit less athletic than it, than is ideal on a team of this caliber. They rallied to those plays in a hurry. I mean, they were sticking guys left and right. Really, the only reason Penn State was able to make this close was because Jahan Dotson was a damn hero for them. I mean, we we commented earlier in the season, is this guy really going to be the lead receiver they need? He sure looked the part against Ohio State. He had one of the stupidest catches I've ever seen. Back to back. Oh, back to back. He had two catches for touchdowns that were just just monstrous. I'm not talking about the two touchdowns, so I'm talking... No, 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 no. This didn't go for a touchdown, that's right. There, yeah, talking about the one-hander. Right. Yeah, the one like against Sean Wade, projected first rounder. They're in. He's in pretty tight outside coverage, and then Dotson gives him a subtle little nudge. He loses his balance. Dotson then turns around. The ball's already there, so he just like throws he his hand up. One hand up there and grabs it in stride. Yeah. Like it just. If you watch his body, you would barely have known he was catching a football. He just kept running. Yeah, a ball that had to be thrown pretty hard to get there, too. So it was, yeah, it was a spectacular catch. It was nutty. The problem is that Ohio State put the clamps on Fryermuth. As you already said, they put they shut down the running game. So by all means, Dotson, go ahead. Catch three touchdowns, get get 150-something yards. It's not going to be enough. And that's the thing with this Penn State offense is they're still a piece short. Although I think it's encouraging for them for the rest of the season that Dotson is now presumably feeling himself and confident after playing that well even in a loss. You know what Firemuth is. If you can get this run game tracked at all outside of Sean Clifford keepers, which are still the most awkward looking things I've ever seen, then you might have something going here. But it's, I mean, really, the only, if you're looking for a perspective from the rest of the conference, what do we take away from this about Ohio State? Well, the Death Star does have an exhaust port on it. They missed two chip shot field goals, basically pulled their starting kicker, and then the, a walk-on backup missed the second one. So there is a vulnerability, but you still have to get close enough to jam for your Penix to, in it. Yeah, for it to matter. Yeah. So, so I'm saying that it's all on the Hoosiers now. <laughs> well, Penn State was the team on paper that was closest to them in terms of talent. That didn't work. Uh, Michigan would be the next closest. Do we really think after this week's outcome that there's the slightest chance? Right, so Michigan's corners couldn't cover, again, a, a sub-400 national recruit true freshman in Ricky White, who I, I hope is as good as he looked. And now those same guys in, they're playing soon. They're playing, I think, I think, think still over Thanksgiving, but it's not very long from now. Those same guys are going to have to cover Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. This is not going to go well. And so no, the, only, the only reason that they're not going to put up massive stat lines is because Ohio State's going to be running it the whole time because they don't need to throw. Conversely, Ryan Day did say after a little spat in a teleconference with Jim Harbaugh that he wanted to hang 100 on him. So that is true. <laughs> maybe they'll try. And well, I don't think they'll actually get there. But something with a seven is not out of the question. So, oh, God. This is what we're playing for, guys. This is so that we can just line up to be the next Alderaan in the path of this thing. Yep. So by all means, uh, by all means, Hoosiers, don't uh, don't blow it up. Please, we're peaceful. We have no weapons. <laughs> oh boy. So yep, that's that's it. Ohio State is, of course, the only team that really matters that we're doing this for. So on one hand, I resent that, but on the other hand, it's like, well, if you get into the playoff off of this, you better fucking win it. Otherwise, yeah. our sacrifices were in vain. <laughs> <laughs> Many a line I die to bring us this bid to the playoff. <laughs> <laughs>
source for big Gen Cog. It's off tackle. Empire!